Okay, can you all stand with me? This is a song that my kids learned from their preschool teacher. Ooh. And so they taught it to me. And so now I, in turn, am going to teach it to you. It's, it's one of my favorite kid songs, and it's really simple. Okay, it goes like this. My God is so... Then you guys go, oh, you guys know this? Big. And then... So strong and so mighty. Bring it down. And then you wag your finger. There's nothing my God cannot. And you guys say, do. Okay, let's try that again, okay? You guys like this song? It's real simple. Okay, and the concept is really clear. Okay, let's do it again. My God is so, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot. Ooh, that was so good. I didn't, let's do it another time. My God is so, so strong and so. There's nothing my God cannot do. You guys can take a seat. I, I, I love certain kids songs because they just get, they just cut right to the heart of the message in plain and simple language. Uh, another one that does that is Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. You know, it just, boom, right there. And I, I, I just love the language. My God is so big, so strong, and so my, there's nothing my God cannot do. Now, how many of you believe that? I, I actually think, honestly, most of us believe that. You look around at the world, and it's so amazingly made. You're like, some kind of genius, brilliant, super powerful God must have made this. There's no other explanation. But let me ask you something that we kind of struggle with. Is this God who made all these things for you? Do you really believe that he will stop at nothing to give you what is best for you. I, I think a good number of us kind of struggle with that one. Like, I do believe God's omnipotent in power, but is he really for me? Can I fully trust every aspect of his character that he's totally for me? I, I wanted to share a scripture, and I want you guys to think about this scripture because it's really going to blow your mind if you really think about it, okay? And if you really believe it's true, it is such a crazy, amazing scripture. It's Romans 8.32. I'm going to go through this quickly, but just, just go with me. Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32 goes like this. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us, how will he not along with him, his son, Give us all things. Have you ever heard of that scripture before? Do you understand the scope of what this verse is saying? Now I want you to think about this. He who did not spare his own son. God did not spare his own son. Who killed Jesus? Ultimately, wasn't the Roman soldiers. It was his father. Now you kind of go... Why would his father sacrifice his own son? Well, the scripture, the verse goes for us. He sacrificed his son 
as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. His son was given for us, for you, for me, for people in this room. Now, the scripture goes on a logical turn. It says, if he gave up the most precious thing. Now, let me tell you, there's nothing more precious than the life of God's son. There's nothing more precious in the entire universe than the life of God's son. I mean, who made the entire universe? The son, right? So logically, there's nothing more precious in all of the universe, especially to God, than the life of his own son. Nothing more precious. Now, the scripture says, if he gave up his son, then how will he not, along with his son, give us all things? There's an argument here. The argument goes like this. If God gave you the really big thing, which is the life of his son, then he's going to give you the small thing. What's the small thing? Everything else you need to thrive in Christ. That's the easy thing. The really hard thing was the life of his son. So if he gave you the most precious thing, then isn't he going to give you everything else you need to thrive? Now, okay, from the Bible, we have established grounds for God being omnipotently strong. He's great. We agree. And now we're taking this verse, and not only is he great, but he's good. He will stop at nothing to give you what you need to thrive. By the way, that does include suffering. He will stop at nothing. Now, here's the question. If we, as God's people, really believe that, then how are you going to live your life? If you believe those two things with all of your heart, that there's nothing my God cannot do, that he will stop at nothing to give me what I need to thrive, then how are you going to live your life? That's the question I'm asking you. And 1 Samuel chapter 17, we show a picture of what it looks like if you really believe those things. And my answer to you is if you really believe those things, you will move out in the world with courageous faith. Now, if you look in your bulletin, today's title is called Courageous Faith, But then there's a subtext, and the subtext is putting skin in the game. How many of you guys have heard of that term, putting skin in the game? Not all of you have heard of that term. I think actually maybe Calvin was was someone that shared that. I'm like, "I, I like that term. And so I did a little research on that term. Do you know who made up that term? Warren Buffett. And he used it. Um, as a term to describe top-level executives of a company who actually make personal investments into the company's stock. So they are investing their own personal capital and livelihood in the company. Now, the thinking here is that they are so confident that this company is going up that they are putting their own personal livelihood at stake because this company is going up and I'm going up with the company. So I am all in. That's what it means to put skin in the game. Now, here's my point. If you really believe these two things, that there's nothing God can't do, that he will stop at nothing to give you what you need to thrive, which does include suffering, by the way, but he will stop at nothing to give you what you need to thrive, then you are going to be in a place where you're saying, if that is true, then I'm going to put skin in the game. I want to give you an example. 
but I need a volunteer. I need uh, one man and one woman, one guy and one girl. Need a volunteer. Sam, would you get up here? Sam, thank you. Sam did raise his hand. Jordan kind of raised it for him, but he did raise his hand. Now, I need, a, I need a woman. I need a girl. I need someone with an arm. Not a million-dollar arm. How about like a $10 arm? Jessica, can you come up here? Jessica looks like she has reach. Okay, awesome. Now, what I want you to do, Sam, have you met Jessica? Okay, well, you, now you have. I need you to stand right there, Sam. And Jessica, I need you to stand right there. Okay, now, Sam, this is what we call a trust exercise, okay? Do you trust me as your pastor? You're supposed to say yes. Do you trust me as your pastor? Okay, now this is the promise that I'm going to make you. Now, listen to this carefully. I promise you that at the end of this demonstration, you're going to be glad you did it, okay? That's the first promise. Second promise is no harm will come to you. Okay, no shame, no egg in your face. Okay, no shame will come to you. You're going to be okay. Do you trust me? Okay, good. You just hold on to those promises. Jessica, I'm just going to give you things and you're just going to throw it at Sam. That's the exercise. Now, try not to hit his head. You can you can you can throw it at him as hard as you can. Try not to hit his face. Are you okay at throwing things? Are you good at that? Okay. Here's the thing. Now, Sam, your role is just to stand there and take it. Okay, but you're going to be active, okay? It's not like a passive thing. You have a choice. At any moment in this faith demonstration, you can say, no, no, thank you, I'm out of here. But, I, but remember my first promise, which is, you will come out of here glad that you did it, okay? All right, Jessica, would you go ahead and throw this at Sam? Try to aim for his chest. You can move a little closer, actually, Sam. Yeah, 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 right here. Sam... Sam's been working now, so there's a big target over there. Okay, go for it, Jessica. Good. Good. You're okay, Sam, right? Okay. Here, throw it. It's an angry bird. Go ahead and throw it. A little bit harder. I think you can take it. Go ahead. Throw it harder. Yeah, a sponge. It's used. Yeah. Okay, now a ball. Okay, now, good. Now, now Jessica, I want a little bit more million-dollar arm, okay? Especially for this next one, I I have eggs. Okay, you guys are like... Okay, um, I just want to demonstrate that, you know, the egg is real. Okay. <laughs> Sam, you trust me, right? Okay, I said, no harm will come to you. You will be glad you did this demonstration, right? Right? Okay, are you still willing to stay in there and trust your pastor? Okay, he says yes. Okay, that's not passive. He is saying, I am going to stand. What is Sam doing at this moment? He's putting skin in the game. Okay? There are circumstances which say mess. But he's trusting me, right? Okay. I want you to go ahead and just throw it at him as hard as you can. Seriously, throw it at him as hard as you can. Okay, that one didn't work. Try this one. Try to break it. No, no, no. You can, now you can aim at his face if you want. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Try the chest. His hardened chest is going to make some impact. Go ahead. Hard, hard. (laughs) Sam, are you okay? Are you embarrassed? Do you want $20? (laughs) I made you a promise here. No, no, no. Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's for the illustration. Take it. Take it. I'm going to give it to your mom. Come on, Sam. Yes. I'll give Sam a hand. 
Jessica, great job. I'll clean that up later. Listen to me. There is going to come a time in your life, in your faith, where there will be a decision point, where you will look at the circumstance, and the circumstance is saying, this is crazy. It's saying, if you continue in this direction, egg is going to splatter on your face. But then there's another choice, which is God has made me promises. And those promises seem kind of contradictory to the circumstance, but who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust by my own practical wisdom what I see in the circumstance, or I'm going to put my faith in the Word of God? And if I put my faith in the Word of God, then I'm going to stand there, even putting myself in harm's way, even saying, I'm all in, my personal livelihood Okay, here, I'm putting it in. I'm putting it in the company, putting skin in the game, because I know God is true to his promises. I'm going to stand there. Faith inevitably takes you this direction. It comes a decision point. Do you really believe? If you really believe who God says he is, that he really is that, then you move out in the world with courageous faith. There is no halfway. There is no compromise. This morning, we are near the end of the series in the Old Testament where we've been covering major themes of the Old Testament. And I want to make this point. This courageous faith is big enough to be long in this series when we're talking about major themes. Abraham sacrificed his son. was about to. How did he do that? Why did he do courageous faith? Joshua was going to conquer Jericho. What was the battle plan? Walk around the city 13 times. That's the battle plan. Really? That's courageous faith. Gideon, he whittled down his army from 32,000 to what? 300. All over in the Old Testament, you have these moments where God's like, choose circumstantially, in your own practical wisdom, does it make sense that the walls will fall down if you walk around them 13 times? Or are you going to listen to me, my promises, my word, my character? Your choice. Put your own life on the line. Choose what you believe. And when the people of God choose to trust in God, oh man, God comes through. God is glorified. God rewards courageous faith. And so today... It brings us to 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath. I've asked Sharon and, uh, and a guest appearance of, of Kevin to uh, go ahead and, and share that story, just reading from the scriptures. If you guys will turn to 1 Samuel 17, and uh, the, the version that they are reading is a highlighted version. It's actually a really long chapter. So here, here, here it goes, the word of the Lord. Okay, um, starting with verse 3. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. 
He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Elab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his sheep's father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry back to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines again, uh, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were as he was talking with them goliath the philistine champion from gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance and david heard it whenever the israelites saw the man they all fled from him in great fear now the israelites had been saying do you see how this man keeps coming out he he comes out to defy israel the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him he will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in israel david asked the men standing near him what will be done for the man who kills this philistine and removes this disgrace from israel who is this uncircumcised philistine that he should defy the armies of the living god they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Elab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? 
he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before what david said was overheard and reported to saul and saul sent for him david said to saul let no one lose heart on account of this philistine your servant will go and fight him saul replied you are not able to go out against this philistine and fight him you are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth but David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like as one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David, fa David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him reaching into his bag and taking out a stone he slung it and struck the philistine in the forehead the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground so david triumphed over the philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand he stuck down the struck down the philistine and killed him david ran over Stood and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shariam road to Gath and Ekron. When the Philistines returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? As surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. The king said, find out 
whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, we're going to go through the story piece by piece. Uh, we're just going to hit highlighted verses uh, because it's a lot. Now, the, the first part of the story, I think the, the author wants you to know that the Israelites were not an unusually cowardly people. <laughs> they, they want you to know that because they walk through all this detail about um, Goliath. Now, how many of you know how long a cubit is? Uh, it's 18 inches, so this man stood six cubits high in a span. I don't know what a span is, but I do know what a cubit is, right? Now, if you guys look around the room, who, do you, who would you say is the tallest person in this room? Uh, Dion and Quest. Can we have, like, a, a standoff? And Tom, who, who uh, six two, six one. He's a humble man. Six one. Quest is six two, right? And Tom, six four. We got a winner. Tom, could you stand up, please? I don't know what a span is, but let's just say it's four inches. I don't know what a span is. Okay, so Goliath was nine feet tall. Tom is six four, nine feet tall. That's taller than Shaquille O'Neal and Yao Ming. You know. But if they were able somehow to make a baby, it might be someone like Goliath. Okay, thank you, Tom. That's your very good visual for this. Yes. Um, he, would, he had a coat of, of uh, chain mail, uh, 5,000 shekels. One shekel is 11 grams. Maybe some of the nerdy people can do some math. And you get 121 pounds. You know who weighs 121 pounds? I did in high school. I weighed 121 pounds. But just imagine, this guy goes out to battle, and he's carrying on his shoulders my weight in high school. I mean, that's how buff this guy was. Now, the spear, the head of the spear, right? You got to pick up the spear and throw it or kind of, you know, jab it around. How heavy do you think the head of that spear for a man as buff as this? So he wasn't just tall and lanky. He was tall and ripped. How do I know that? Well, the t head of his spear was 15 pounds. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of muscle. Okay? So the, 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 the Bible wants you to know the Israelites were not unusually cowardly people. They were normal, rational beings, and there were normal, rational reasons to fear this man. Okay? Now, what does Goliath represent? Let's just go straight for, like, the metaphorical application. Goliath represents anything that stands in our way and keeps us from thriving in Christ. Goliath stands for anything that stands in your way and keeps you thriving in Christ. Now, as you are today, what is your Goliath? What keeps you from thriving in Christ? Is it your perpetual busyness? Is it comfort? Is it fear of God not providing, and so we look to money and materialism to provide? I don't know. What, what is your Goliath? 
And if you think that Goliath that's keep you from thriving in Christ is formidable, the Israelites had formidable reasons to be scared in the same way, okay? We're talking about real stuff, real reasons to be scared, and maybe you've got some real reasons too. Verse 16, for how many days? 40 days. That's a long time. 40 days. Morning and night, the Philistines came forward, took his stand morning and evening, and gave the same challenge. I want you to imagine morning time, you hear Kevin's booming voice. Evening time, you hear Kevin's booming voice. The next day, morning time, you hear Kevin's booming voice. Evening time, you hear it again. Forty days. Now, what happens when this is going on for 40 days? I'll give you an example. It's loosely connected, but I think you guys can relate with me. Uh, Some of you know that Rena drives a minivan and I have my own ride. I don't know if you guys have seen my ride. I'm proud of my ride. I think I'm the envy of people on the highway, honestly. I ride a goldenrod Toyota Corolla. Goldenrod. It was like the celebration of the 90s in full color. And that is my car. And one time I'm like riding on the highway, you know, I'm driving down the highway. And, and there, diagonal to my left is a truck that kicks up a tiny pebble, whoosh, 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 hits my window shield and leaves a thumbnail crack. Oh, this is really disturbing to me because it's right on the driver's side. It's right in my purview. I'm not a tall guy, so it's more towards the bottom. It's bugging me. I'm kind of thinking, wrong place, wrong time. Oh, man. But I didn't really tend to it because, you know, you can put that resin stuff on the windshield. So the next day, guess what happened? It creeped a little bit, like an inch or two. So now it's beyond repair of the resin thing. And then the next day, it crept more and then more. And then, and then finally, it looked like this. Uh, Han, can you show that picture? You guys like my, my ladybug little hood ornament? Yeah? You see, the, you see the crack? It went all the way from one side to all the way the other. You see it no, more towards the bottom. You see that line? Okay, now I want you to know that when it reached all the way across, I realized I need to replace my window shield. I need to replace the whole thing. And I'm going to do it as soon as I get time. Okay, that crack is still on my window. <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been like maybe a year, right? I'm like, I'm going to do it when I got time. I know it's, it's obstructing my, my view, a little bit distracting, doesn't belong there. I'm going to do it. But I just never got around to it. And you know what? I don't see the crack anymore. I don't see the crack. I, I, had, a, I had a friend, like, uh, actually, I was, I was driving this, this homeless man. And uh, he looks at my car, and he looks at the crack in my window, and he goes, you're a really good pastor, aren't you? <laughs> I, I didn't know what he was talking about. Like, how do you know I'm really good? And he goes, oh, you're talking about the quality of my car. I've got it, right? He's like, that doesn't belong there. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't notice. I didn't notice. I bet you when, when Goliath bellowed out his challenge, and everyone shrunk back in fear, and they were like, they were all quivering in fear, you know? And you know something? I bet you there's a lot of shame in the community that they did that. You know there was shame. Why? Because when you're a warrior and you go out to battle, you know that cowardice is bad and courage is good. Everyone knows that. 
Imagine, there's not going to be like this boasting in the locker room. Oh, you remember when he bellowed out? And you've never seen so many Israelites hide behind one small rock. No, they're not proud of it. They're cowards. No one stood up. No one said anything. No one rose up to the challenge. And then the evening time came and Goliath did it again. You know what happened in the evening time? They didn't do anything again. They were still embarrassed again, but they were a little bit less embarrassed. And then the next day, Goliath bellowed out and they did nothing. They were a little bit less embarrassed. And then 40 days went by. And you know what? I bet you they're like, yeah, Goliath gets up there, offers his challenge. He's there. And we just kind of quiver in fear. That's what we do. That's who we are. We're a bunch of cowards. He gets up and bellows, we quiver with fear and do nothing. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I wonder if there's a Goliath that comes out every morning in your life. And it's been there for 40 days. And you've gotten to this place of immunity. I'm okay with it. Yeah, Goliath is there. I'm okay with it. Like, like for those of you, maybe your marriage has been less than ideal for a while now. And you're like, that's just the way we relate. We're cold. I've gotten used to it. I'm okay with it. Or maybe you're a parent and you hear in church, we encourage you, disciple your children. You are the primary spiritual educators of your children. And in the back of your mind, like, you know, I don't really actively do that. I can't think of the last time I really prayed with them. That's just the way it is. I'm okay with it. Maybe you have these unhealthy patterns of dealing with reconciliation. Like, you're terrible. By the way, a little aside, I've noticed that Asian Americans tend to be terrible with communicating their feelings and resolving conflict. We don't have really a lot of good role models. And so this dysfunction is pervasive, and it passes on from generation to generation. And you're like, you know, that's how my parents used to do it. I'm just not good at communicating feelings. I'm okay with it. Maybe you are addicted to something on the internet and you keep on going to those sites and it's it's accompanied by behavior that you're not proud of. But you know, it's been going on for years and years and years. And you're like, you know, I just, I just want to do, I'm okay with it. Maybe there's a lack of intimacy with God. And it's been years and years since you've really enjoyed closeness with God. Years and years. You're like, oh man, it's, it's been a long time since I've really just, you know, had that intimacy with God. Eh, I, I, I'm okay with it. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you're at school or you're at work and you got these friends or family who are not believers and you haven't really proactively shared your faith. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, actually the truth is some of my friends don't even know I am a Christian. It just never came up in the conversation. We just don't talk about that. This is the most important thing in my life and I don't even talk about it with my friends. Yeah, I'm okay with that. That's just the way it is. This is our friendship, sir. What we need is a King David to walk into our lives and go, that is not okay. 
That is not okay given the God that we have. Now, if God is who he says he is and you believe it, then that Goliath does not belong there. That's not okay. You need someone to rise up and go, you guys, this is not okay. And that's what David says. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, now, why does he call Goliath an uncircumcised Philistine? Of all words to, to call Goliath, he could have said, this guy who is over nine feet tall, or this guy who, who would put on a coat mail of Andrew in high school over his shoulders, or a spearhead with 15 pounds. But he calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. What does uncircumcised mean? We don't have to get into the technicalities of that, but metaphorically it means what? This dude, as buff as he is, has no covenant with God. We have a covenant of promises with God. He doesn't. We have the resources of God. He doesn't. So who is this guy who defies the army of the living God? Come on, guys. This guy doesn't belong here. He's out of God's will. And we have all the resources of God. What are we waiting for? Let's do it. And that's what David comes and he does. And then verse 31 Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. King Saul tries to talk him out of it, but he goes, Look, I used to tend my father's flock. A lion would come, a bear would come. I would sling my stone, and I would slay these animals, these huge predators. This guy is not going to be any different. God delivered me from the paw of the bear. He delivered me from the paw of the lion. He's going to deliver. What does David talking about here? A track record of what? of moving out in courageous faith and God meeting him and him saying, God can do anything. I move out, he meets me, he can do anything. I move out trusting him, he meets me, he can do anything. This guy, big as he is, same thing. He's not in the covenant of God. We're in the covenant of God of moving out. God meets us, God is glorified. Wow, got these stories about how God moved. We got that, he don't got that, let's do it. Now, I'm about to make an observation from Scripture that I really think, if you think about it, is going to blow your mind. Now, I, I, uh, I know that's a kind of a tall order. You're like, ooh, really? Really? Blow my mind, Pastor Andrew. I really think if you think about it, it will blow your mind. Okay, are you ready for this? I have looked at this passage over and over. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've read it a lot of times. read it to my kids a lot of times. There's never one time when I've read this where I found David receiving a special revelation from God. Like David was like, I don't know if we can beat this guy. And then all of a sudden he had this dream. And then Samuel the prophet said, yes. And then the angel came and they were singing. And, like, and then he comes back and like, oh, we can do it. Why? Because God gave me this vision. I mean, I don't see it. Do you guys see it here? Now, why am I asking this question? Because a lot of times when we're, on, we're sitting on this opportunity of doing something really bold for God. Time and time, we always say, oh, I don't know. I'll do it if God tells me to do it. I'll do it if he gives me a special revelation, like a dream or a vision or, you know, a prophet saying, you shall do it. Oh, yes, I'll do it, you know. I'll do it. It's like, hey, let me ask you guys. Would you guys pick up and, and, uh, and drop out of Cal? You know, and, and leave your work and go become a missionary. Would you guys do that? 
I'm pretty much everyone, most of us will go, I would do it, Pastor Andrew, if God made it very clear to me that I should do it. Like this really supernatural revelation. Then I'll do it. I will go to the far reaches of the earth. You know, I'll go to, I'll go to Canada. Hawaii. Yes, I will do it. I'm looking over this. I don't see any special revelation. Where is it? What? Where is it? Are you saying that God's expecting us to do bold and courageous things just based on who he is? And the track record we have of moving out in faith. And God, well, gosh, I'm reading the scripture and it seems like that's the case. It seems like we have enough to be bold and courageous just on the word of God, which is given to all his people. He said, listen, there's nothing I can't do. And there's nothing, I will stop at nothing to give you what is best so you can thrive. Go. Move out on that. That's enough. Apparently, knowing that word and really believing that means that you are courageous as a lifestyle, not as a once on this, you know, very special opportunity with a special word from God, you know, and and so forth. Okay. Here's where I uh, be uh, absolutely honest with you guys. Um, I'm going through kind of a King David kind of moment. Um, I uh, came back from my sabbatical, and I was traveling around the world, China, Nicaragua, and I couldn't wait for a new normal. I, I wanted to settle down and just start applying the lessons that I've learned. And you know something? I, you know, a lot of times in the pulpit, I complain about my, my jaw muscles. And you've noticed I haven't complained about that for a long time. Do you know why? Because um, I, I guess I, I'm taking some medication which helps me sleep better at night. And so I'm feeling much better. But after I came back from my sabbatical, I re-injured it. Uh, the masseter muscles right here are re-injured. They're, they're constantly weak. And so it's really connected to how I speak, and then it hurts. And then it's uncomfortable when I speak, and then I just kind of like close up and hide away. And so when it came back, I didn't expect this, but all the anxiety of past fears in the previous years came flooding back. For like a good amount of like six weeks, I was a wreck. I'd wake up every morning, and the only thing I would think about is my masseters and protecting myself and not re-injuring myself, and woe is me. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to be able to be in the pulpit for, I can't continue this. Masseter muscles don't regenerate and get stronger. They just get weaker with more prolonged use. I'm in the ministry. I use this so long. I don't have much of a future career. I'm freaking out. Now, I like to say to you that God's word was enough for me. It wasn't. Honestly, he knew I needed a special revelation. He gave me one. I was having a quiet time, and I remembered this word that Paul, that God gave to Paul when he was scared. And I was scared. I was scared. I'm like, I'm preaching on Sunday. I can barely talk today. I was scared. And so I went to Acts 18. I'm reading this promise that Jesus gave to Paul. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is like, this is for you too. And I started to burst into tears. And the promise was, don't be afraid. Don't keep silent. I will be with you. No harm will come to you. And I have work for you to do in this church. And I was, I'm afraid. I'm afraid now. 
I'll be afraid next week. I'm preaching this coming Thursday. I'm scared. I have this circumstance which says these muscles are on the way out. You don't have much of a shelf life as a pastor. But I have a God that says, trust me. Stand in the pulpit. Don't hold back. I will be with you. Now, it's hard, guys. I wake up every day and I get anxiety comes. I go, no. God said, don't be afraid. God said he's going to be with me. I'm going to be fine. And at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, gosh, did I, did I re-injure it? No. God said, I'm going to be okay. He's going to look out for me. I'm going to be fine. I'm in the pulpit, like, moments before I preach. And I'm like, Andrew, don't think about your masseter muscles. Don't think about, you know, the, how big Goliath is and nine feet tall. God has you covered. You're going to be okay. Remember his word. So I stand up here. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to think about your promises, who you are, God. I don't know how long I'm going to last preaching. But I do know God said, don't be silent. And I do know that all the resources of God are for me. God's ministry done God's way will never lack God's resources. Do you believe that? So King David, he goes to the brook and he takes like five smooth stones. And he goes out to meet Goliath. The armor didn't fit. He, he, he kind of realized, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be who God created me to be. Maybe that's a word for a lot of people here. I don't have to be like this person. I don't have to be like Francis Jan. I don't have to be like, you know, like Bruce. I can just be me and who God called me to be. So he goes and he meets Goliath. Now, I love this line. You know, Goliath is like taunting him. And what does David say back? He doesn't, he doesn't say, you know something? I've, uh, I've slain a lion and a bear and you're next. He doesn't say that. He goes, you come at me with javelin spear. I come at you in the name of the Lord whom you've defied. I'm here trusting in God. That's why I'm standing. And I'm going to cut off your head. <laughs> and he does. He cuts, we know how the story goes. He cuts off the giant's head. And you look at that and you go, what do you, what do you go? You go, wow, David is really strong. No. David, his part was courageous faith. I'm putting skin in the game. I'm pretty weak, but I'm putting all of me out there. And God comes through, and God is glorified. And now David got this story to tell about how awesome God is. We got a story to tell about how awesome God is. I don't know if you guys have ever heard our story in the past three years. Do you guys know that not too long ago, our church was in a deficit? That means the amount that we were getting and the amount that we were expending was not equal. We were spending more than we were getting. And it was consecutive years. By God's gracious uh, power, we rebounded and then we got into the black. Woo! But now we're sitting on this surplus. And we've been sitting on this surplus for a lot of years. Now you look at that. And maybe the surplus and all the attitude around the surplus, like, ooh, the surplus will take care of us. I think that was kind of a Goliath. Half of the world is living on $2 a day, and here we are as a church, we're sitting on a surplus. Something about that's not right. Now, even though this money was already tithed, the board made a decision, let's tithe it again. So $150,000 
was put into account, and that money is just going to go to kingdom causes outside of our church. The first year, we gave away $60,000. Ten of it was matched by you guys. The second year, we gave away $60,000, but here was a problem. There was one home group that, through their contribution, they broke the bank. So the board's like, what are we going to do? This is going to be matched by everyone. All the home groups, what do we do? So the board quadrupled the amount to be matched. The quadrupled amount was matched. But let me tell you, during this time, I had a pang of anxiety. You know what that anxiety was? We are giving all this money away. We just might go back into deficit. <laughs> that was the fear. Oh, it makes sense, right? You were in deficit years. Now you finally recovered. Don't give money away. You got to save it because you just went through a famine. I woke up and I was anxious. We're giving all this money away. Now, now people have a limit to how much they can give. What if they stop giving to our church and start giving it away to other people? I was a little bit worried about that. But I felt like God was saying, trust me. Trust me. Do you believe that there is nothing I won't give you so that you can thrive in Christ? Yes. Okay. Let's continue this series. Next year, we gave away, I think, $50,000. Our church in the past three years has given away $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars, to, to, help, to help those who are hungry, to help people who do not know the gospel, to help victims of sex trafficking, to, to, to help all these people who are suffering. Do you know that there was not one single year where we went into deficit? Not one single year. We had a budget every year. The budget was matched. And we also gave away a quarter of a million dollars. Our God is faithful. You move out in courageous faith. He meets you. You give glory to God. And we got a story to tell. What's keeping you? What's keeping you from moving out in courageous faith? I wonder if there are people here and your marriage has been cold. And it's been cold for a while now. And there have been unhealthy patterns that have set in. I wonder if today you're going to say, you know something? If God is who he is, then I will not tolerate this Goliath. He will not tolerate this Goliath here. Let's rise up to meet it. And maybe the new thing you'll do is you'll go to counseling. Maybe it's been years and years, and finally you're rising up and saying, Honey, let's go to counseling. Let's fix this problem. Because if God is who he is, then we can do this. I wonder if there are people here today, and you have a pattern of not being able to reconcile well when relationships broke down, break down. You don't know how to communicate your feelings. And I wonder if today you will say, if God is who he is, then we will not tolerate this Goliath. He does not belong here. I'm going to find a mentor. I'm going to find a mediator. I'm going to have a peace talk. I'm going to reconcile with this friend in a way that's honoring to God. I'm going to take proactive steps to do it because I have the resources of God. God's ministry done God's way will never lack what? God's resources. Maybe there is an addiction to something. Maybe it's over the internet. 
And you're like, this has been going on for years and years. I've just accepted it. And maybe today you're going to say, I don't accept it. Not with the God that we have. I will not accept this because of who God is. Because of his resources for us. I'm going to cash in on those resources. I'm going to call up a friend and say, I'm struggling with this. You be my accountability. You pray for me. I'm going to take proactive steps. I'm not going to settle for this Goliath being there, defying the living God. Maybe there's a lack of intimacy with God. And maybe today you're going to do something radical. You're going to say, you know something? I'm going to give up TV. I'm going to give up football. I'm just not going to watch that so I can create all sorts of time to spend in the scripture, to pray. I'm going to wake up early and give 20 minutes to God every day. If God is who he is, then who am I to let this Goliath just stand there defying God? I'm not going to accept him being there. Maybe you haven't shared faith to people around you who desperately need it, and it's been a long time. That topic has never been even uh, broached. And today you're going to say, if God is who he says he is, then I'm going to be proactive about sharing my faith. Every day I'm going to pray for my coworkers and my family who do not know Christ. And I'm going to say, God, give me an opportunity to share the love of God with them. Today is your day to stand up and say, if God is who he is, and there is nothing this God cannot do, and he would stop at nothing to give me everything best in Christ, which does include suffering, then I will not tolerate this Goliath. He does not belong there. And with the resources of God, I'm going to go and meet him today. Would you all stand? I want to pray for you. Lord, by your amazing promises, you have already equipped your people to be amazing people. You are a courageous God. And we are chasing after you to follow suit. Would you empower your people to be brave? I pray that for the Goliaths in our lives, for that, that, um, that windshield fingernail crack that just keeps on getting longer and it doesn't belong there, I pray that we would not settle for, oh, that's okay, attitude. But you would make us strong and say, no, that does not belong there. It's not in God's will. By the resources of God, by God's time and God's way, we are going to fix this by God's power. That we will be strong and bold that we would take risks for your glory. And let us have amazing stories to tell about the goodness of God, the God who meets us as we took risks of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.